Samuel chapter 19 and verse number 9. Everybody that has it, say hallelujah. Verse number 9, 2 Samuel chapter 19. And all the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies. He delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. The Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? And King David sent to Zadok and to Abathar the priest, saying, Speak unto the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Seeing the speech of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house. Ye are my brethren, ye are my bones and my flesh. Wherefore then are you the last to bring back the king? Say ye to Amasa, Art thou not of my bones and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also. Thou be my captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. And he bowed the hearts of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man. So they sent this word unto the king, Return thou, all thy servants. For the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal, to those that beat the king to conduct the king over Jordan. My subject for the evening, Simply this, bring back the king. Bring back the king. Which ask the Lord, open the windows of heaven, pour out his blessings upon us tonight. Heavenly Father, we come, Lord, to this awesome time, Lord, with a lot of responsibility. We understand, Lord, that your word is life and life, and you're asking us, your God, to allow to put in every heart, to touch every soul, to stir every life. Lord, let not this be a sermon that is delivered, but help us tonight, God, to deliver people for the power of your word, the authority of your name. Asking you, God, for everything that is done like you, to lead this place in Jesus' name, and for your holy angels to come and camp around about this building. Lord, for there to be a great move of the Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let's lift our hands and worship him one more time before we're seated tonight. Their stronghold that they once had 
over the nation. Saul represents everything that is self-centeredness. He represents everything that is egotistical. He represents everything that is bent on oneself. Saul sought for nothing but for his own. He sought for nothing but for his own kingdom and for his own direction. He did not seek for anything else but for himself. He is a man that pursued, that would prefer the plane of music to the preaching of a prophet standing in his court. Whether have uh, David strumming the strings of a harp, and you never have Samuel standing and lifted anointed finger and preaching what thus saith the word of God. Because of his self-centered, because of his egotistical nature, because of the course and direction that he chose to pursue, he led Israel down to a place of shame and degradation until they were a reproach in the sight of all of their enemies. A kingdom that was meant to be a very beautiful kingdom in the world now ends in shambles and is a wreck and is a ruin. But God always has a means of uh, pulling things back together. He always has a means of taking the shattered pieces, the pieces that are crumbled, the pieces that have become broken, the kingdoms that are in ruins, and putting them all back together again. For waiting in the wings of time was another king that was appointed and anointed by God to come and rule over the nation of Israel. His name was King David, and he picked up the pieces. And one by one, he began to put the kingdom back together again. And a kingdom that had one time been in reproach and shame amongst all the nations now returns to a great height of victory. And God once again places his hands of anointing upon this king and upon his kingdom. I believe you can all tonight recognize the fact that where we came from, before we came to God, we were of that Saul-like nature. We ruled our own kingdom. We did our own thing. We went our own direction. We did things our own way. Well, nobody told us how to do it. We didn't want anybody telling us how to do it. We knew how to handle everything by ourselves. Somehow or another, that self-centered nature that had a hold of us, that, that preferred everything its own way and nothing God's way, finally wound up in, in, in a wreck, in a ruin, and the pieces fell apart, and, and the picture was torn and shreds, and what could have been a beautiful life is now a life of futility, and it's empty and void, and, and it's become naked and shameful in the sight of, of everybody around. And instead of conquering, we are pursued. And instead of uh, triumphing over our enemies, we are the ones that is being triumphed. How many remember the kind of life that you once lived? Those moments that you were being pursued by your enemies. Those moments that when you were being uh, run over by the things that tried to triumph over you. But waiting in the wings of time was King Jesus. Aren't you glad for King Jesus? Waiting in the, the, the wings of time was King Jesus, who was appointed and anointed to come in and pick up the pieces and put it all back together again. A life that looked like it was a life of shambles. A life that looked like it was a life of wreck and ruin. The life that looked like it had found its, its last its last place in the day had finally come back to the limelight and God placed victory back in it 
and it begins to triumph again over our enemies and we once again begin to have victory and I'm glad to stand here tonight and say that King Jesus rules and reigns on the throne of our heart. I'm not what I once was. I'm different from what I once was. Jesus has put me back together again. The broken homes, the broken families, the no happiness, the lack of peace, the lack of joy. It's now all gone and where that once was. I now have peace and joy because Jesus has come and sat upon the throne room of our heart and I'm glad for him to sit there. I want him to sit there and I want him to reign there. I want him to rule there. I don't ever want him to leave. I always want him to sit upon the throne room of that heart and I don't ever want that fall-like teacher to rule and dead. I always want Jesus to reign upon the throne room of my tells us that it's after Saul passed from the scene that David as he came to the throne he ruled for seven years over just a portion of the kingdom and uh, there he really didn't have the victory and there really wasn't the trial that God wanted to give to him until finally the entire kingdom was given into his hands. The Bible tells us that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. The house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker and the house of David waxed stronger and stronger. And I want you to know he'll never give you complete victory. There'll never be total deliverance in your life until finally the entire kingdom can be delivered into his hands. And he can rule and reign over 100% of you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And we're in a long war right now. A long struggling war. And the house of Saul is waxing weaker and weaker. But praise God, the house of Jesus Christ, the root, the offspring of Jesse. Oh, yes, he, he's waxing stronger and stronger and stronger. And every day I live, he gets a little more territory. And every week, he gets a little more of the kingdom. And so finally, he's going to rule over one. Place you in a state of war. He'll place you in a place of, of confusion and frustration. 
one that has robbed our kids. He is one that's taken from us our home. He's taken from us our families. He's robbed from us our money. He's taken from us our, our happiness. He's taken from us our joy. And we're at a particular place at a crossroads in time where we lift our voice and ask why. Why in the world did we ever allow Paul to rule and reign over us? Because all he's interested in is robbing. All he's interested in is taking from us. All he's interested in is stealing us blind. And all he's interested in is depraving us from all that rightfully belongs to you. But hang on, that may be Paul, but I want to preach to you tonight about another king. I want to talk about the manner of the king of kings and the Lord of Lords that doesn't take the children from you, that doesn't stretch your home apart, that doesn't leave you open to the winds of confusion and frustration, that don't leave you in a place in another state of helplessness, but there to help, to encourage and to strengthen, to lift up and to edify and to undergird. That's the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Saul that once reigned 
together. David, David was noted. David was noted for his great, his great compassion, his great love, and his great concern. He's willing to take Mephibosheth, his enemy's grandson. He's willing to take him and bring him and put him under the table and feed him from from the from the king's food to feed him from from the king's uh, table. He, he's willing. He's willing to do that. But Mephibosheth says, I, I, "I'm just a dog. I, I I don't belong here." David said, "I don't care." From now on until the day you die, he said, "I want you to come to my table and I want you to eat from that which I place on the table because you're 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 part of my family now." You're going to be part of my throne room now. Hey, I'm telling you, we don't deserve this. We don't belong here. We're nothing but a bunch of old crippled sinners. That's all we are. We don't deserve to be sitting in this building tonight. We don't deserve to be feeling what we're feeling. We don't deserve to have the presence of God sweep over us. But thank God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He invited me to sit down at the king's table. victorious 
no matter how thick the walls, how tall they were, how broad the city, what kind of notable name they might have, the crown of the king was handed to him and victory was laid into his hands. He is a victorious king. For the elder, get from me Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, if you would. I'm telling you that King Jesus is a victorious king. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. He's been in a fire many times. He's been in a flood many times. He's been in situations many times, but he's always come out victorious. And I'm here to announce to you tonight that he will never lose a battle. He will always win. The enemy's too strong. The problem is too great. The situation is too much difficulty. King Jesus is leading the triumphant army into glorious and radiant victory. Jesus is victorious. They say when the kings went into battle, that when they would come out victorious, they would take a piece of material somewhere around uh, 12 inches or to two foot wide, and they would sew it onto his train on the back. If you wanted to count how many times the king had been in battle and how many times he'd been victorious, just count the pieces of material that hung from his train, and you would know how many times he'd been victorious. Isaiah said, I saw him and he was high and he was lifted up and his train, he said, well, I got to count the strips of material hanging from his neck. He said, there was so many of them. It just filled the temple because he had been in so many battles, won so many wars, come out so many times victorious. He's not a loser, honey. I said, he's not a loser. He's victorious. He's triumphant. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he reigns on my heart. He reigns on my heart. Go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, if you would please, for the elder. I want you to hear this tonight. And I saw heaven open. I saw heaven open. And behold a white horse. And a white horse. And he that sat upon him. And he that sat upon him. Was called faithful. Was called faithful. And true. And true. And in righteousness. And in righteousness. He doth judge and make judge war. And make war. His eyes were a flame of fire. His eyes were the flame of fire. And his head were many crowns. And on his head was many crowns. And he had a name written. And he had a name written. That no man knew, that no man knew but, himself. but himself. And he was clothed with the vesture. And he was clothed with the vesture. Dipped in, in blood. And his name and his called, name is called the Word of God. The Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven. And the armies which were in heaven. Followed him upon white horses. Hey, you won't talk about the king. Let's talk about his army. I'm telling you, we're following a triumphant king. We're following a victorious king. We're not in this thing by ourselves, friend. You're not fighting that battle all by yourself. You're not in war all by yourself. The great commander of chief of heaven is leading you in battle. And if you'll follow him, you'll live in victory. Read. Hold and find him. Hold and find him. White and clean. And out of his mouth. A sharp sword. That he should smite the nation. And he shall rule them. And he shall rule them. For the rod of iron. And he shall tread the wine. And he shall tread the wine. Of the fierce. Of the fierceness. And the wrath. Of the wrath. Of the 
of the Almighty, of the Almighty God. God. And he had on his vesture. And he had on his vesture. And on his thigh. And on his thigh. A name. A name. King. King. Of King. King of King. And Lord. And Lord. Of Lord. Hey, I'm telling you. He's not second. He's not third. He's not third. He's number one. King of King. 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 I said he's king. I said he's king. And he's got a whole room in Hutchins and Kansas. And he's welcome to child and sin over the and reign forever. He's a victorious king. I'm glad. I'm glad. David had a lot of success. A lot was given to him. A king that knew no, no loss. A king that knew only victory. This king, nothing could take him from the throne. Nothing could remove him from that place where he sat. There wasn't anything. Any time an enemy nation would stick up its head and rise against him, he'd simply just send out his armies and conquer it. There wasn't any, any enemy nation, there wasn't any enemy city that could take him off the throne. There was nothing that could remove him. If they even dared try, he would have squashed them with one of his thumbs. If they even tried, he would have driven them out because they didn't even know what started even chasing them. That, that was just the way David operated. But one day, something transpired in the kingdom. Something took place. A revolt started moving through the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's not an enemy nation. If it had been, he could have subdued it. It's not, not an enemy city. If it had been, he would have conquered it. But you see, this is his own flesh and blood. This is that which that came from his loins. This is that which he had begotten himself, that he had raised, that he had taught, that he had instructed. And that spirit rose in the city of Jerusalem. And when it rose in the city of Jerusalem, David stood helpless. He was evicted from his throne. What no enemy nation could do, what no conquering city could do, his own flesh and blood, that which came from his own loins, that which came from his own blood, was able to evict him from the throne. Now listen to me tonight. You may disagree with me theologically, that's all right. But I'm telling you, it's not the world that we're worried about. The world is no threat to this church. Worldliness is no threat to this church. All right, let's get the picture straight. It's no threat to this church. Cigarettes and smoking and drinking and drugs and alcohol and unworldliness and ungodliness and unrighteousness and all the junk that's in society is no threat to the church. We're sitting around worrying to death about the inroads of compromise. Quit worrying about it. It's no threat to the church. It's no
glory. We try to rule and reign everything on our own. That's that stinking, rotten, filthy, absolute spirit that gets a hold of us. And somewhere that thing's got to be evicted. Somewhere it's got to go. Somewhere we, we, we've got to get the idea that, that I, I can't do it without him. I've, I've got to have Jesus. I've got to have him. Hey, I can't preach unless he's the king. I can't sing unless he's the king. We need to put the king back in our prayer meeting. We need to put the king back in our testimonies. We need to put the king back in our singing. We need to put the king back in our preaching. We need to put the king back in our revivals. We need to put the king back in all altar services. We need to put the king back in our worship. We need to put the king back in our praise. We need to put the king back in our Sunday school rooms. We need to put the king back in our visitation. We need to put the king back in our outreach. We need to put the king back on the throne. And let him rule and reign. I'm the servant of the king. I'm the servant of the king. To the king be the glory. To the king be the honor. To the king be the praise. Long live the king. Long live the king. Long live the king. Long live the king. gone and we spend we spend services wringing our hands in frustration we spend hours praying trying to beat our heads against brick walls we spend moments in sunday school classes that we cannot seem to break through the bonds that hold us it's because the king's not there we thought we could do it and so he let us do it he let us just go ahead and try it i heard i heard brother barnes make a, make a statement and i'll never forget it he said many years ago as a young minister he, he decided that he was really going to do it nice and he made him a sign he made him a sign that said uh, uh barnes healing crusade and he put it over his tent and he was standing back looking at that sign he said he spent his last dollar getting that sign painted barnes healing crusade and the lord looked at the sign and said, that's a nice sign you got there. He said, I guess I'll see you later. You won't need me here tonight. But the barn said, hey, hang on. I'll take the sign down. I'll take the name off. It's not Barnes Healing Crusade. It's Jesus Revival meeting. And I'm telling you, this isn't Borders Revival. This isn't Hutchinson Revival. This is Jesus' Revival. This is the King's Revival. This is the King's message. This is the King's song. This is the King's testimony. It belongs to the King. It belongs to the King. It belongs to the King. Come on, Hutchinson, Kansas. Give it to the King. Finally, Israel gives the message. They said, Absalom's dead, who we anointed over us. Thank God he is. Said, but the king that has captured our enemies, conquered all the enemy territory, done all this, he's gone. Said, we, we need to bring him back. Said, we, we, need to, we need to put him back on the throne. You see, he was dethroned by a spirit of his own flesh and blood. And he would not return unless he was asked. He would not come back on his own. Somebody had to welcome him back. Somebody had to go and get him and bring him and put him back on the throne. We're the ones that caused him to leave. And he won't come back unless we ask him to come back. He won't sit again on the throne until we go get him and put him up on the throne room. And let him rule and reign once again. It's tough. 
us, we've got to want him to come back. I got a big old crowd together. They decided that uh, it was going to bring the king back. They was going to do everything they possibly could do to get him back. They was heading down to Jordan to get him back. And here comes a, a squalling, squawking man through the crowd, pushing everybody aside to get back, get away. Let me through. Get, get, get out of my way. Looked down and big old tears were rolling down his cheeks. Here comes Shimei running through the crowd down to the banks of Jordan. And you remember, Shimei is the one that on, on the way out of Jerusalem when David was leaving, he said, you old dog, you deserve everything you're getting. All the blood you brought all on the house of Saul, God is finally getting revenge. And he's going to once again return the house of Israel to the house of Saul. And he cursed him and he spat at him. And David just walked off and left him. Shimeon now feels sorry. He now has a repentant attitude. And he goes running through the crowd and said, Hey, hang on, folks. We can't bring him back till we make some things right. It's not good enough just to say you're welcome. It's not good enough just to say you come and sit on the throne room right there, Jesus. Have a seat until we do some repentance and get some things out of our heart. Make some things right with God. And that's the problem with some of us. We want the cheap way out. We want to bring him back, but we don't want to do it in repentance to make things right. We want him reigning and ruling. We want victory. We want deliverance. We want healing. We want a move of God. But we don't want to do any kneel but knee by bowing. We, we, we don't want to do any uh, crying. We, we, we don't want to do any praying. We don't want to do any repenting. We don't want to really give our heart to God like we're supposed to. Hey, I'm telling you tonight, it starts in an old-fashioned experience of apostolic repentance. If you're going to bring him back, you're going to fall on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You were right. Please forgive me. I You don't have my spirit. Right. Put your sword back in your in your sheath and, and, and go your way. Let, let, let him repent. You know the problem with some of us? We, we, we don't have the spirit of the king. We get people come up here and repent. And, and we're, we don't think they have any right to come back and repent. I mean, they, they have committed the unpardonable sin in our book. Maybe not God, but our book, they've committed the unpardonable sin. And we won't let some people repent. We won't let some people say they're sorry. We won't let some people put their past behind them. We won't let some people forget where they came from. Hey, I'm telling you, if we're going to get the king back, we're going to have to help some people find the king. We're going to have to get down beside them. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what kind of sin they've committed. I don't care how far out they've been and how deep 
If you can't come up around an altar, put your arms around them and help them pray through to an experience that God, yours in bad shape and not worse than they are. Because God hates self-righteousness. And there's a pharisaical spirit that's got a hold of a lot of us that we think we're better than everybody else. And we're just too good for the run of the mill people. Hey, I'm telling you, we need to find somebody and help them find their way back to the king. Monday, but I'm going to preach right now. Hey, I'm telling you, it's time to put the king on the throne. Why, shut your eyes down there, wiggling in the dust and crying and bawling and boo-hooing. Here comes another one, bursting through the crowd. He's not moving quite so fast because he can't. He's dragging a leg and his beard's long and he's filthy. Bible said Mephibosheth hadn't even taken a bath since the day David left. He's been grieving and moaning and, 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 and carrying on ever since David walked out the door. You've got to understand something now about Mephibosheth. The day David left town, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, came to David and said, Hey, David, said, said I, got all, I got all this food on the donkey's back here and I brought it down here for the men. Mephibosheth didn't come. He feels that God has finally returned the house to, to the house of Saul. And he's going to be king now. And he, he, he's left you and deserted you. And David said, well, if that's the way the old boy feels about it, I'll just take all the land, everything that belongs to him, and I'll give it all to you. And you can have every last bit of it. And Ziba goes away real proud of himself until Mephibosheth comes back on the day the king started to return to town. And here comes Mephibosheth and he's dragging his lame leg and his body just absolutely smells with the terrible odor that's upon him as he kneels in front of the king and says, Listen, king, uh, I, 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 I was slandered. That, that stuff Ziba told you wasn't a bit true. That I, 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 I was trying to get to the donkey and he took off without me and I couldn't get there. I wanted to come with you. And so David just decided he would test him a little bit. He said, all right, I'll tell you what, Mephibosheth, I'll take half the land that I gave to Ziba, and I'll give half of it to you, and we'll just split it right down the middle. Mephibosheth looked at him and said, King, just let him have all the land. Let him have everything that you gave him. I don't want none of it. The only thing I'm interested in is you coming back. The only thing I'm interested in is you getting back on the throne. The second thing we need is a heartfelt desire for the king to come back on the throne. I want him more than houses. I want him more than lands. I want him more than wealth. I want him more than a car. I want him more than money. I want him more than education. I want him more than position. I want him take the world but give it Jesus. Take everything the world of God but give it Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus to reign on the throne. I feel a Holy Ghost apostolic Pentecostal spirit in this building tonight. Somebody's ready to go get the king, put him on the throne. They're ready to, 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 to wiggle and rither and get in repentance. They're ready to tell God, I, I, I want you back more than anything in all the world. I want you sitting on the throne. I'll make you king of all. 
David said, Spire and Dandy, everything you've done, but it's not done. I appreciate everything Shimei's done. I appreciate everything Mephibosheth has done. I appreciate the repentance and I appreciate the desire. But not, it's not done. He said, where in the world out of all these people is Judah? He said, my own flesh and blood. My own kin. Why aren't they he said, you go back and ask Judah. Why? Since they're my kin, my own flesh and blood, bone of my bone, why they're the last to bring the king back. So we got a guy down here repent. We got a guy down here begging me to come back more than all the possessions of the world. But where in the world is Judah? I, I want to know where, why, why isn't Judah down here at these river banks? And so here comes Judah. They went and got her, and they're bringing her down. Judah comes marching in. You know what Judah means. Judah means praise. David said, I can't come back until I'm praised back. I refuse to come back on the throne until I'm worshipped all the way back to my golden seat. Friend, you can repent, and you can desire him to come back, but until from the bottom of your heart and the depth of your soul you praise him back, you'll never get him on the throne. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his hearts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Judah, where are you at? we got to bring the king back, but you've got to praise him back. You've got to worship him back. You've got to love him back. You've got to adore him back. You still haven't got it. Oh, Some of you still haven't got it. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm telling you that we're never going to have what we want. We're never going to have the things we dream until we want him back so bad that we praise his way back. We, 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 we take we take a... and lay down and learn to walk back. God, I want you to make your way in. I want you to come and sit on the throne. I praise you and I adore you and I love you and I worship you and I glorify you. Welcome, Jesus, to sit upon the throne room of our heart. You know what's happening right now in the Holy Ghost? Jesus is standing at the door right now. He's standing at the door. And he's waiting for somebody in Hutchinson, Kansas to get so hungry for him to come and sit on the throne. He's yearning and he's waiting for somebody to bring him and put him on the throne room of their heart and make him king of kings. Have you forgotten what he's done for you? Have you forgotten Saul that reigned? Have you forgotten Saul that ruled? 
Have you forgotten the pieces and the shambles your kingdom was in? Why are you so slow in bringing him back? Why are you so long in putting him back on the throne and reigning and ruling? Why are you so slow? Where, where's Shimei? I just think, do you have a Shimei here tonight? It is, is there, is there a Mephibosheth? I, I, I'm looking, I'm trying to find a Mephibosheth. Is there, is there a Judah here tonight? Is there somebody that would welcome the king back to sit on the throne room of our hearts? I don't believe tonight, I don't believe tonight that I am just preaching a message right now. I believe that this message is a message of destiny and eternal consequences. Because I believe with all of my heart right now in the Holy Ghost that God has given an opportunity and a chance to some people in this congregation tonight. Don't say, man, man, if they were here, if they were here, God knew who was going to be here before this service ever started. God's given some opportunity to some people in this building right now once and for all in their life. And I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight with all honesty. It's not done tonight that there can be some eternal consequences involved. The king is really not put back on the throne. We stand to our feet across this building. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm inviting some Shimei's and some Mephibosheth's. I'm inviting some Judas right now that are wanting to turn the tide. That's wanting to turn, turn a leaf over. That's wanting to go and pity, bring him back and put him on the throne. That wants to really make Jesus the king of their hearts. That really want to make Jesus the king of their hearts that really want to make Jesus the King.
shimmy, I repent. Come on, shimmy, I repent. Come on, fulfill the shimmy. He's got to be more important to you than anything else. Come on, jingle bell from heaven. That means we've got to be the aggressor. You've got to be the first one to launch the attack. And what didn't dawn on me until just about a week ago, when I got to thinking about all of this, and I was going over these notes that he gave me, being the first one to launch the attack. And I got to thinking, well, what happened before February that what caused all of this? And I teen teach in our senior high class, and I mentioned this last night. We teen teach and we had about four or five teenagers in there. And we decided to start talking to those kids on things that they could face today, things that they were going through. I started reading their kind of materials. I started, I wanted to know what they were going through at school. I started talking to them. I said, tell me. In fact, the kids told me they are faced with drugs every day as they walk onto their school grounds. And you may not agree with how we, how we approach this. Um, all I know is that you've got to be responsible for the area that you're in and we felt to start teaching out of a book by Josh McDowell on why wait. It talks about dating habits. It talks about sex. It talks about AIDS. It talks about drugs. It talks about suicide. You see, the reason why we did that, I had a 15-year-old girl in my class who's pregnant. I've got another boy in my class who's already tried to commit suicide. We were not reaching them. And we live in such a hard, cold area. These kids' parents, no, most of them do not come to church. They come on their own. And if we didn't reach them, they'd be out those doors and gone forever into a sin-filled area. I could not re risk losing anymore. I have come there to push back the cloud. I've come there on a spiritual warfare, and I had to do something. I was desperate. I'll try anything first. I'll try it. I'll try it. And so we did. And so we began to watch our class grow. And it got to where we had 15 in there. And they all began receiving the Holy Ghost and praying through, and they've been shouting and on the first two rows of the church. And all of them had received the Holy Ghost except three. And these kids' parents did not come to church. In fact, one of the girls, her mother is a drug addict, and her ways of punishing this young girl is by not feeding her. She doesn't. She takes won't even go to the grocery store, won't buy her food, won't feed the child. She's uh, 15 or 16 years old, and she lives a hard life. In fact, the other day, she came into church, and both arms were wrapped in bandages all the way up to her elbows. I said, what happened to you? She says, my mother and I got into an argument, and to keep from getting hurting her, I ran my fist through the windows, and I've been in the hospital. I've got stitches all up and down my arms. I'm facing that. But just two weeks ago, the last three of them got the Holy Ghost on the same night. 
We launched an all-out attack for that class, and we came under attack. And I figured, God, that must be what it is. What a privilege. What a privilege. I love it. I don't love the attacks, don't get me wrong. But I love working for God. I love watching God being the winner and conquering. Number three is unity of command. For every objective, there should be unity of effort under one responsible commander. So if you're a pastor or a pastor's wife or a Sunday school teacher or a prayer group leader, a musician, or even a parent, whatever your position, if two of you agree, it shall be done. Matthew 18, 19, 20, if you even find one person who will agree. So if here today I thought, wouldn't it be great, God, if there's seven, 700 women there who will agree today that we're going to have revival? And each one of you will say, hey, Sister Lincoln, I believe we're going to have revival in New Jersey. I believe with you you're going to have it in Arkansas, in Wichita, Kansas. I believe with you for Louisiana and Texas. Believe with me for New Jersey. Will you do that? is something about unity in the spirit that gets God's attention. He loves it when you and I agree. Number four is mass. That means to concentrate combat power at the decisive place and time to unify our attack. That means using all the manpower that we have at the same time. And so on Sunday mornings at our church, we have one service on Sundays, and it starts at 1.30 in the afternoon. We rent an Episcopal church building, and we cannot have the building until in the afternoons, and we can't have it at night. So we have a big service on Sundays. That's Sunday school and church. But at 11 o'clock, I started at the beginning of the year, and it's dawned on me. I just started at the beginning of the year. <laughs> anyway, I launched another attack and didn't realize it. But at the beginning of the year, I asked people if they'd be willing to come at 11 o'clock, which was two and a half hours before church, and pray with me. And I have about four or five, and it's never usually the same four or five, it's a different four or five. And we come together at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings and we pray. Now I don't let them just pray amiss. We unify. I use Sister Harden's book and I say, and I'll get it out. And I'll talk to her for about five minutes because I want them to spend at least an hour talking to God. And so I say, this is how you're going to pray today. This is the chapters you're going to read to God. This is what you're going to bind today, and this is what you're going to loose today. And don't forget to put angels around the doors and plead the blood. And then I ask them to go by the pulpit and to bind and to loose and to ask God to put angels of power and mercy so that the ministry of the Word can go forth to reach people who have never ever heard it or have been or bruised and need God. And we do that. The first time we did it, we, I said, won't you ask God today to lose the Holy Ghost with somebody and get the Holy Ghost? And it happened. We were all in shock. The next thing I said, hey, I said, that was fun. Let's try asking God to heal somebody. And a woman came in who hadn't been there in about two months who was so sick. And she called and she said, I'm coming in just to be healed. And she walked in and was healed. God loves unity. We unified. We knew we were going after that hill. That's what we went after, and that's what God did. Isn't that great? I love it. Number five is economy of force. That means to allocate minimum essential combat power to secondary efforts. And no, I didn't understand what that meant, and he had to explain it for me, too. It means to have a two-to-one ratio against your enemy. 
And I thought about that. I thought, you know, when I have a special request, something really personal, I want to keep my veil on, you know, and I looked at for one person to see, I'll call maybe one or two people and ask them to help me pray about this. As long as I'm not alone, you know, the enemy would like to keep you, as soon as you start having problems, make you think you're all alone and you need to stay alone because nobody else would understand and nobody else cares. Well, that's just a lie. You need to call somebody for help. You need to get you a two-to-one ratio against the enemy to fight. Number six, maneuver. Place the enemy in a position of disadvantage through the flexible application of combat power. I love putting him at a disadvantage. But the enemy has done that to us a lot of times. For example, depression. And when we are depressed, we are definitely at a disadvantage because most of the time I want to stay in bed and cover my head and not ever get out. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to go shopping.